Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. this morning. Uh, Psalm 60 and verse 1 was our starting place last week, and that's where we'll start from again today. And again, as we go through this, if it's denoted as something that displeases God, then the inverse of it is probably true then uh, that uh, you can find out what pleases the Lord by what displeases Him. Amen. Psalm 60 and verse number 1, David said this in the scripture, O God, Thou hast cast us off. Thou hast scattered us that you know if you start just to read that as david would pin the words we're thinking well what type of god is this you know one of his uh, subjects or friends or people would feel cast off and scattered but then david lands on the reason in his third phrase there he says thou hast been displeased O turn thyself to us again so David feeling cast off and David feeling scattered from God is because the Lord was displeased with what had been taking place in the life of David, perhaps in the life of Israel. Psalms 59, I think it is verse 2, that tells us that our sin or our transgressions separate us from our, our God. Amen. And so if we, can, if we can bridge the gap of the sin issue, uh, it will help with our feelings of feeling cast off and scattered. Amen from the Lord. And so I want to talk about second Sunday here today about things that displease the Lord. And we'll wrap this up next Sunday. Amen. Father, I come to you today. I'm grateful, Lord Jesus, for the gathering together of your people. So thankful, God, for those that have come out to the house of the Lord this morning. I pray, oh God, that you have blessed them, Lord, in their time that they are here. Help us, Lord, today, God, to glean from your word one more time. God, shine light upon, give us understanding by it. God will not fail to thank you for it the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. And everybody say amen. God bless you. You may be seated today in Jesus' name. Amen. It's good to see different ones I haven't seen in a bit. Amen. This morning, so good to see Brother Bob with us this morning. Glad to have you this morning, Brother. You're my, you're my wet back friend. You're my wet vacuum friend here from this year. So I got to have you here in the house of the Lord. Never know when water might break out, you know, so. No, I want you here because beyond that, but so glad to have you uh, today. Good to have Michael Hurst with us today. Been a long time since Michael Hurst been with us. So good to see him here. Glad to see him here worshiping the Lord. Hands up, magnifying God. That's great. And then there's Sister Cox. Amen. She is, she is the traveler, journeyer. She's a nomad of the Old Testament. You never know when she, where she's going to pitch her tent. Amen. And so we're so good to see that she pitched it here today. Amen. In the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. So things that displease the Lord. And so David, David comes to an understanding. It's because uh, there was displeasure that the Lord had with him or with the nation of Israel. Reasons why he felt scattered or cast off from the Lord. Uh, we, we addressed just a couple of things. I believe it was last Sunday. Going to do just a few more today. So if you will, turn to First Chronicles chapter 21 and verses 2 and 3. And we'll look at another thing. These are things... It's important. These are things not necessarily that <clears throat> uh, someone else said uh, displeased the Lord. or this, These are things that God owned himself that were things that 
uh, troubled him or displeased him. So the Bible says in 1 Chronicles 21 and verse number 2, it says, And David said to Joab and to the rulers of the people, Go, number Israel from Beersheba even to Dan, and bring the number of them to me, that I may know it. And Joab answered, The Lord make his people a hundred times so many more as they be. But my Lord the king are they not all my Lord's servants? Question mark. Why then doth my Lord require this thing? Why are you asking me to number the people? They're all yours anyway. You know, what's, what's the big deal about what the number are? Matter of fact, he says, let, you know, let them just grow and multiply a hundred times more and over. My goodness, let them just increase. He says, why will he be cause of trespass to Israel? That's what Joab was asking David. Verse 7 says, and God was displeased with this thing. Therefore, he smote Israel. God was displeased with this thing. Therefore, he smote Israel. And this thing that the Lord was displeased with is that David would desire to number the children of Israel. Now, to you and I, I mean, that just seems like an innocent thing, isn't it? You know, how many people we got here? One, two, you know, and you start, you know, it seems like an innocent thing to number uh, the people. It doesn't seem to be anything inherently wrong. You know, with wanting to sound off and count how many people that David had in his army or that David had in his nation. As a matter of fact, there are at least at least two significant occasions in the Bible where God had Moses and God told Moses. In particular, Moses, I want you to number the people. At one time at the beginning of their wilderness journey, whenever they started their wilderness journey, uh, of those 40 years into the wilderness, God had had Moses number the people. And he had him numbered the people the second time close to the end of that 40 years that they had been in the wilderness numbering the people. And so in each case, when God had Moses numbered the people, the numbering of the people was about this. This is the reason or the motive behind him wanting Moses to number the people. God wanted to know how many people were of fighting age. How many people were of fighting age? Because usually the numbering of the people usually involved those during the time when Moses numbered them. It involved those that were 20 years old and upward. Those were people that were qualified or uh, were old enough, you might say, mature enough uh, to go out and fight. And so the rule whenever they did this, the rule for whenever Moses numbered the people and God asked him to was for each person that was that was numbered, that was accounted among the fighting men of Israel, they were to submit some ransom money, some ransom money, which was half a shekel, half a shekel of silver unto the Lord. All right? This is what they were to do. But the Bible, whenever we talk about David desiring to number the people, in opposition or opposed to Moses, whenever David desired to number the people, uh, there's, there's, it's totally silent whether this did or did not take place as far as the people giving ransom money during the time that David numbered the people. Moses, again, understand, Moses numbered the people because God said, Moses, I want you to number the people. But David numbered the people, according to the Scripture, and we'll go to a verse, David numbered the people not because God told him to number them, but actually we understand that the spirit of Satan or the adversary provoked David to number the people. So we have a vast different 
reasoning here right from the go. One is instructed by the Lord, and the other one is having a prompting by, by Satan. The Bible says in 1 Chronicles 21, in verse 21, the Bible says, And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked. That word provoked means he enticed, he seduced, or he tempted David to number Israel. So there's a big difference, isn't there, Bob, between God asking you to do something and the adversary asking you to do something. So there, there isn't anything, folks, I want you to know, there isn't anything wrong with the action itself, but it's the motive behind the action. The motive behind the action or what is provoking the action that, that, that determines the difference in these two accounts. In this instance, again, David is being led by Satan, provoked, tempted, enticed, seduced, however you wish to state it, by Satan to number the people. And so we can rest assured in this. I think we all can come in agreement on this. That if Satan is the one tempting and enticing David to do this, then I believe we could probably all agree that the motive behind it is probably corrupt. <laughs> the motive behind it probably isn't very well and that's a pretty good rule of thumb to carry in our own life that if it's something that's being propagated by Satan and he's trying to entice you or tempt you or seduce you down a certain path do a certain thing then it's probably pretty 100% sure that the motive then is corrupt the motive is not good and so David and Israel, just to get a little background context for what we're talking about, David and the nation of Israel had been on a, a winning streak concerning the battles that they had been fighting. They had been winning battle after battle. They had just recently subdued the Philistines and the Moabites, and they came forth gloriously there. They had defeated the Ammonites and the Syrians. So, man, there's four. Boom, boom, boom. Successful in the battles. They, they, they plundered the towns and the villages of these people and their enemies. Several giants, giants of the land that had been brought down, uh, including the one that David brought down of Goliath. Amen. At the beginning of his career. And so they have been very successful. They've had victory after victory, very steady with their victories. And so almost, you know how victory can do for a person. If you have steady victory after victory, it can almost get you in a place to deceive you that you, you can't be defeated. You know? Uh, sometimes, I know just even personal life, you're not talking about uh, fighting literal battles, but sometimes, you know, you get, you get to a place maybe things are selling good enough that you think, man, this is great. This is the way it's going to be. And then something happens, you know. Uh, so, so there's a lot of celebration going on because of all their successes. I mean, defeating giants, really? Yeah, I mean, something to, something to celebrate. Maybe, maybe David even has some of the old chants that's coming back into his mind when, from years gone by whenever they said, you know, Saul slain his thousands, but David is ten thousands. Like, yeah, boy, those are the glory days right there, buddy. Yeah, I remember all that. But the problem, the danger in numbering the people without the consent or without the okay of God, again, is why number the people of God doesn't say number the people? What is the motive behind numbering the people? I mean, you've been winning your battles, so it's not because you're worried about whether or not you still have enough manpower to go to war with because you're being successful. 
in winning your battles. So it's not like you're thinking, man, my, 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 my soldiers are decreasing. I might need to know that's not it. You're winning. So that, that, can't, be, that can't be the thing. You, you're, you're not fearful of being ineffective while you're fighting. So that can't be the reason why. And look, Joab, Joab, captain of the host, he even asked David some questions. He's kind of interested in knowing. He's probing David. Uh, good captain of the host at this period of time. He's probing David. Why are you doing this? That's basically what he's asking David. Why are you doing this? It's good to have people in your life sometimes that uh, challenge why you do some or are doing some of the things you're doing. Nothing wrong with that. It's good to have that sometimes in our life. People to question you, basically what they're wanting to know is what's your motive for doing this? As a matter of fact, there's sometimes uh, whenever Don and I, we, we, whenever we make decisions or stuff, we'll ask each other that question. Whenever we're about ready to do something, why are we doing this? If you're going to say this or have a conversation with someone, what's your purpose? What's the overall outcome? Why? What, what's your motive behind doing this? I mean, all these soldiers, uh, Joab tells David, all these soldiers are your servants anyway, so why do you need to number them? But what it was, what it came down to, it seemed to be it wasn't enough to have the victories from the battles that David and Israel was fighting. But it seemed like David wanted just a little something more. He wanted a measuring stick, if you will, for the success of Israel that he probably is at this time accounting more as his success because, you know, he's the king and he's the one in control. And so uh, thinking maybe that our strength must be coming from our numbers and our chariots and our military might and thinking that, you know, we must, you know, really be something and a side of fries with that, you know, type of thing. But what David was starting to lose at this particular time in his life was to understand that the victories and all of the celebrations of the battles they had, yeah, no doubt that was somewhat contributed to the men of war that he had, but there was something greater all that was contributed to, and that was something that was immeasurable, that couldn't be measured, and it was called the hand of the Lord. The hand of the Lord. It is a scary thing to get in a place in life where we think our victories and our successes have come about because of something per se that we have done. When it's more so the mercy and the grace of God that may be active in our life. The reason for them coming out and being as they are. The Bible says in Psalms 20, and Psalms 20 it's known as a psalm of conflict or a psalm of of trouble you can read it perhaps when you go home today a psalm of conflict or a song of trouble and it's to believe a psalm it's believed to be a psalm that was recited before David and his army would go out into these battles that they were successful in this was a psalm that they would they would quote or they would recite before they would go out into battle and so if that's the case he and his men, before they went to these battles and were victorious, would quote this song. But more interestingly to me, they would quote then verse number 7 of Psalm 20 that says this. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. I mean, tucked within this psalm then that they would recite before they go out in battle was the constant reminder Boys, it's not the chariots you have. It's not the horses you have. But it's the name of the Lord Jesus Christ you have. That's the reason why you're able to even go in this battle. And more importantly, return home from battle. Because of the name of the Lord. So they're doing all this. They have this constant reminder before they ever go into battle. And yet there is this struggle right now. 
this struggle right now of David wanting to number the people. Amen. They still seemingly forgot God. Number four, this is number four reason in our little series. We did three last week. Number four reason. And the Bible says the Lord was displeased because David numbered the people. But here's the thing, and I want to point this out. He's displeased when a man like David numbers the people when his motivation is pride. Everybody say pride. When his motivation is pride. William Barclay said this he said pride is the ground in which all other sins grow and the parent from which all other sins come now that is a hefty statement to think that from this thing called pride all other sins grow and it's the parent from which all other sins come but we find the truthfulness of that statement illustrated in the word of the Lord. For that matter, this morning, nothing gives Satan such an easy approach into our lives, such an advantage over us, as when an individual is swelled up with a sense of self-importance. It's no wonder that Pride has been labeled the root of most, if not all, sin because the tempter, Satan, the devil, from his beginning, through his own pride, changed from being a high archangel in the heavenlies to the devil. You've heard me say this more than once in my time here. Pride changed an angel to a devil. Pride calls Lucifer, who was an archangel in heaven, took him from being that to being cast down to the earth, having lost his first estate. So his temptations to sin are in essence, and even our temptations to sin, are works of pride, arrogance. Whenever you read in Isaiah and it speaks about uh, Satan uh, walking up and down in the heavens, for that matter, up in heaven among the holy mountain, the Bible says. Now he just is to and fro in the earth, but he used to be to and fro in the heavens. But the Bible says when he was there, he said, I will be like the most high. I will. You have, you have five I wills there in Isaiah that the enemy's speaking of. What, does it, what is that depicting? I will. I will. Pride. Arrogance. And that took him to the place that he now is uh, today, someone has said, well, pride and the idolatrous worship of self is the national religion of hell. Whew. Pride and the idolatrous worship of self is the national religion of hell. See, David, David had a prideful spirit toward Joab by pressing his desire. He pressed Joab to number the people. If you'll notice back in verse 2, back in verse 2 there of, of uh, 1 Chronicles 21, if you'll notice the Bible says, he said, bring the number of them. This is what David said to you. Bring the number of them to me that I may know it. Huh? So this is definitely is not a God inquiry. He says, bring it to me so I can have knowledge concerning it. As a matter of fact, 
if you'll remember from last week, this is the second time where good old Joab is pulled into in on one of David's heirs. The first time being whenever David sinned with Bathsheba and he pulled Joab in. I'm putting your eye out there that we looked at last week. Now he's trying to pull. I tell you what, if I was Joab, <laughs> you know, bit once, you know, shame on the dog. Bit twice, shame on me. <laughs> but he's being pulled in now again to this heir. And this time around, though, you notice, though, Joab, he's a little bit more reluctant than what he was even the first time. He's like, now, what, now, David, why are you doing this? Why is this taking place? But David's a little bit more pressing, too, on his side, a little bit more pressing toward Joab. And the Bible says the king's word prevailed against Joab because whenever the end of the day comes, Joab is the captain of the host and David's king. So in reality, David could usurp his, uh, could take his authority and his power over Joab as being his subject. And so here's Joab. He's trying to deter David. David, do you really need to do this? Uh, you know, all these people are yours. But David took advantage of the loyalty, once again, of Joab, pressed him to go ahead. Basically, David was assuming this, this attitude bad. I know he was king, but this is kind of the attitude he was starting to assume, and that is no one's going to tell me what to do. I know you're asking about my motive, Joab, and you're saying, you know, all these people are mine anyway, so what's the use of doing this? David says, you know, it's kind of like this. I'm king, and if that's what I want, that's what I want. Woo. Let me... Let me, let me there is always a system of checks and balances in your life no matter where your position may find you in life. There should always be some type of, of authority or check or balance system. Amen. And so whenever you see a David that has this type of attitude toward Joab that no one can tell me what to do, you know what that is causing to arise and come up for a picture for you and I? That's a spirit of pride. That's a spirit of pride. Amen. Not wanting to be told what to do. It's really connected to our flesh because our flesh don't like to be told what to do. And I'm not talking about me telling Fred McGee's flesh what to do. I'm talking about Fred McGee's spirit telling Fred McGee's flesh even what to do. It's that war that Paul spoke of that's in us. Of the flesh against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Pride can come up without me addressing you. Pride will come up in your own life by your flesh trying to usurp the power of the spirit that dwells inside of you. You ain't going to tell me what to do. Our flesh doesn't like to be told to go to prayer. Our flesh doesn't like to be told to get up on Sunday morning when it's my weekend and come to the house of God. I'm telling you. My flesh doesn't like, amen, for me to tell it. I'm going to give 10% of my income to the house of the Lord because the scripture my flesh don't like that it don't like that it's prideful it's all about it amen amen and so that's what was arising here but whenever whenever that type of attitude arises again it shows David didn't have any accountability in his life amen and that shows pride because whenever you don't have no accountability in your your life that says that you're too proud for someone to weigh in on your life Amen. And so the Bible says in Proverbs 6 and verse 16 and 17, which speaks about the things that the Lord doth hate. We've done a series on all of these. But the Bible says the six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination unto him. Verse 17, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. And so when we are told of the things that God hates, the writer of Proverbs puts pride ahead of all the others. He puts pride ahead of murder even, of a lying tongue. 
you might think, well, you know, it seems to be a whole lot less serious, you know. You know, the pride would be the murder. But I believe what Scripture is trying to bear out to us is this. It's what Adam Clark alluded to, that pride often leads to all these other deadly sins of our life. Pride does. The thing about pride is that oftentimes, and this is what was happening in David's life, pride gives a man credit for the things that only God should have the credit for. And whenever that happens... That is a form of idolatry. How? Because when you serve self, then self has become the God between you and the God. Spirit of pride. David should have went back to Psalms 20 and recited that maybe three times before you went out to battle. Remember, it's the Lord your God that brought you your victories. Not you, not your army. There's a man, Haddon Robinson, in his sermon titled Good Guys, Bad Guys, and Us Guys. He shared a story about a young woman who went to her pastor and said, Pastor, I have a besetting sin. She says, I, I want your help. I come to church on Sunday and can't help thinking I'm the prettiest girl in the congregation. She says, I know I ought not to think that, but I just can't help it. She says, I want you to help me with it. pastor replied to her. She says, Mary, don't worry about it. He said, in your case, it's not a sin. It's just a horrible mistake. <laughs> we all need a little help with our pride every once in a while. Bible says in Proverbs 16 and 5. <laughs> Amen. Proverbs 16 and 5. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination. That means is disgusting and detestable to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. The Bible says in Proverbs 16 and 18, just down to verse 18, pride, this is the one that we all kind of, you know, tuck in our, our spirit and that people maybe can quote. Pride go up before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse number 12, it says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh, he standeth. Key words here to this verse, take heed, take heed, lest he fall. Amen. And so, here's the thing. Uh, the Old Testament children of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all the Bible speaks of these, you know, uh, when speaking of them, it talks about, you know, our fathers were under the cloud. They passed through the Red Sea, had all these glorious things happen for them and through them. The Bible says that they ate the spiritual meat of manna from heaven and quail that fell from heaven. They drank uh, the same spiritual drink, the water that came from a rock by all things. All these glorious things that had happened in their time. And God had done some great things in them. But the Bible also particularly tells us, but many of them God was not pleased with. They had the miracles of God, seemed the blessings of God. Amen. Yet God was not pleased with them. And I think it's important to note, and, and, and Pastor Paul Poole, our pastor, years ago, back at the very first church, preached a sermon years ago. It would have to be years ago. But at the first church, he preached this sermon uh, about misunderstanding the mercies of God. I don't know if anybody ever remembers that. But the gist of that sermon was this. Just because God is blessing someone or pouring out miracles upon their life doesn't mean that him doing that is God justifying their wrong living. 
It's that God is being merciful to them in that position of wrong living to draw them close back into a relationship, right relationship with him. It's not that he's giving them an okay or a pat on the back, but he's trying to win them over through love and appreciation to get back in a relationship they need to be with him. Amen. And so, again, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, it, 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 it reveals two words that separate us from standing and falling, and that's taking heed. Taking heed, being aware. So pride, when we look at it, and we'll, we'll go to the scripture, pride, it is the fountainhead of a lot of the sin and transgression and things that we do wrong in our life. Uh, here's the thing. Now, we'll never admit that because we're under the vice of pride at the time. All right? But the, all of the quarrels, all of the discord, all the little squabbles and arguments and stuff that take place, all the disputes in our marriages, jobs, homes, churches, any relationship, it all comes from pride. If, you, if there's a scripture in addition to the one that pride comes before destruction, put this one in your mind, write it down in your Bible, Proverbs 13:10. And I've stated this before, but I've got to be just a constant sounding of this today. Verse 10, everybody say only by pride come of contention. But with the well-advised is wisdom only. By, that means nothing else. The fountainhead, the start, the origin it's contributed to pride. Only by pride cometh contention. So there's only one thing that breeds contention within our job, home, family, church, the squabbles, the arguments, all that. You know what it is? It's pride. It all comes from pride. If you, don't, if you want to know where the contention is at, just follow the proud look or the proud voice. Very simply, me and my wife get into a disagreement, and it continues to be a disagreement. It's because pride is not allowing one of us just to shut up. Or own our part of the mistake. Right? Because we like to be right. I don't know a soul that just, you know, aspires to be wrong. We like to be right. And whenever we're convinced in our brain we are right, that's a mountain to die on, honey, I'm telling you. That's pride. It really is. That's pride. And so there's contention. Why? Because somebody's prideful. Yeah. It, it's simple as that. But that, that carries on over then into any type of squirmish that has happens in the job spectrum or in the church spectrum. Huh? Yeah. Many times it's just a old rotten spirit of pride. There's no other options according to the word of the Lord. Ways by which contention comes except only by, see it there, in black and white, only by pride. And the fact of the matter is, God is displeased with pride. He was displeased it when it was found in Lucifer. Then know with a certain, he's going to be displeased with it when he finds it in us as his creation as well. Now, I just want to just barely, barely just touch on another thing along this vein. That one of the reasons why prayerlessness can be scary for the church or for you as an individual is because pride or proud people don't seek God. Psalms 10 and verse 4 says, The wicked 
through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. Here's the thing. When we go to the Lord in prayer, I am showing that I can't do this thing called life on my own. Plain and simple. It's showing that I am throwing some dependency on God. But if I feel self-sufficient, you won't find me trampling the floor to the prayer closet because everything's well, I've got this. See, and so it it shows because many times then God's got to take us to a place trouble problem conflict then arise enough in our life where we feel like we can't take care of it and what do we find ourselves doing god help me with this why because you got to a place that you know what i can't handle it but the fact of the matter he wants us to realize that we couldn't even handle it before then we just misunderstood thought we had it all together in a side of fries but that's not the case it was because of god and so we, we got to be careful with prayerlessness. If you see yourself starting steering to a place of prayerlessness, watch out because there could be a spirit of pride that's sneaking into your life because he said people with a countenance of pride, they will not seek God. All right? They will not seek God. Amen. It's not saying that prayerless people are godless people. It's just saying that they're definitely proud people. Amen. And so it's through our our daily times of prayer that by our actions, we're letting God know, God, I can't make it in this day. I tell God that oftentimes when I go to prayer. God, I can't be the pastor you want me to be unless I have this time right here. The husband, the father, I can't make it through this day. I'm just letting him know I can't make it through this day, God, without you. Now, could I have not prayed this morning and probably survived that day? Yeah, probably. But But if we totally remove the aspect of God, and what he does for us, if he decides just to take my air in the moment, no, I wouldn't make it without God through any day. I'm a human being. I'll go whenever I go. No, you'll go when God says it's time for you to go. It's that plain and simple and that powerful. If he decides today you're going to quit breathing, we'll be attending your funeral here in just a few days. That's God. That's not Paul McGee deciding that. Well, I'm healthy. I've attended funerals of a lot of healthy people. I'm not here with scare tactics today. I'm just forced to really keep in the forefront of our minds that God has a very integral part of our lives, whether we want to acknowledge that or not. And so I I can't do this thing on my own. I I need to ask for help. I need to ask for direction. I need to ask for uh, guidance and instruction. That's not weakness. I think that's true strength whenever you learn how to lean on the Lord and he's displeased with pride the Lord is displeased with pride because again it don't that may be where it starts but that's not will that's not where it'll finish it'll lead to other things it'll go it'll lead to idolatry it'll lead to contention it'll lead to prayerlessness it'll it'll lead to other things and it did in David's life continuing on this morning Isaiah 59 and verse 14 Isaiah 59 and verse 14 the Bible says and judgment is turned away backward And justice standeth afar off, for truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Verse 15, yea, truth faileth. Now, the concept, the idea of truth failing here, 
is that it's not to be found. It's missing. Truth, truth is, seems to be missing. And he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. That's P-R-E-Y. And the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. Now, the book of Isaiah, and I have, the book of Isaiah within itself is like a miniature Bible. It's like a miniature Bible. The Bible has 66 books in it. The book of Isaiah has 66 chapters in it. As a matter of fact, you can divide the book of Isaiah uh, the way that you divide the Bible with the Old and New Testament. The first 39 chapters being relative and then the 27 having another relativity. There, there is a, there's a division in Isaiah that takes place like that just the same as there is in the Bible as far as content and what is being referred to. And so the theme of the last portion of Isaiah is a theme of the last of the Bible, which is the end, our mind going towards the coming of the Lord and all those things. And so the description of this particular chapter, chapter 59, being toward the end of Isaiah, it is dealing with and contending with a sinful people. The condition of the people, though, the condition of the people, Isaiah states it in a metaphorical type way, just kind of in a metaphorical type way. He talks about crooked paths. He talks about groping like a blind man, just metaphorically. This is kind of what they are like, like a person with no eyes. That's the way he's describing the sinful. They're like people with no eyes, stumbling at noon time as though it were midnight, growling like Bears moaning and cooing like doves. All this is just speech that's metaphorical. Desolate as the grave. Men who dwell in the grave or in places as dead men. And so these were people that have, according to these, these metaphors, groping like a blind man, stumbling like you have no eyes, that these are people that have no direction. These are people that cannot seem to find their way. Uh, we sing the song even about groping in the darkness. Uh, uh, we around here and so they were just people that had no direction or could not find their way and the Bible says in the verses that I read to you that justice and judgment and righteousness and salvation were far far from them they were far from them now number five on our Lord displeased list and they were far from them because the Bible says for truth is fallen in the street the Lord is displeased when truth is not upheld, and consequently, as a result, when truth isn't upheld, there is no judgment. All right? There is no judgment. Justice and judgment were kept at a distance because truth, metaphorically, had fell in the street. Truth was lacking. Truth was missing. So these others, so these others, because judgment, listen, Judgment can only be executed by, with the knowledge of truth. That's what happens in a court system. What are they trying to get at in those court hearings and system? They're trying to let the knowledge of truth come to the surface. For what purpose? So a proper judgment can be given. That's what's taking place. We need the knowledge of the truth so we can give proper judgment. But if you don't have a proper knowledge of the truth, then judgment isn't going to be what judgment needs and should be. You understand? And so if we have a missing truth in the scripture, then we have a misinformed judgment or judgment that can't take place without truth. And so here is the problem. Justice and judgment are being kept at a distance because we have no true knowledge of truth. It's lacking. It is missing. It, 
it, it slows down the progress of everything else. You know how it is. You're traveling down the road. All of a sudden, man, it almost comes to a standstill. And you're wondering what in the world's going on. And you get up a little closer. There has been an accident. It's cleared off the road. But everybody is rubbernecking. Huh? You could already be traveling through there, but everybody's like, I wonder what's going on. And, you know, and they're looking up on their phone to see if they can figure out or, you know, listen, you know, trying to figure everything out. It slows everything down because of whatever's happened up there. Well, well, many times, justice and judgment and equity, which is uprightness, all these things are far off, are turned back because, well, truth is laying in the street, so to speak. It's felleth. Amen. There's no one to cry out against anything. People are just allowing whatever to take place to take place. There's no calling for justice. And there's none to plead for truth, verse 4 says, because truth can't be found. You know the statement of today. The statement of today is this. Uh, don't judge me. Right? And I understand people don't want, want to be scrutinized by other people. But there is also a real, there's a real danger whenever there isn't any judgment. God was displeased with the absence of judgment because... That signified an absence of truth. Because only by truth could there be judgment. So whenever there was no judgment, that signified an absence of truth. And so whenever judgment turns around and says, I'm going to stay afar off, that indicates the truth has fell somewhere. It's been abandoned. It's been thrown overboard. And so sadly later, the same group of people that are groping around in the darkness and can't see, have no direction, the same group later... Later, a group is looking for judgment. They're looking for salvation, but they can't find judgment and they can't find salvation. And so they're great. They're even great, greatly more removed from where they need to be because truth is the premise for both. Truth is what empowers the judgment and truth is what brings salvation. So let's just let's quantify a few things here in our mind then. So if truth is vital to judgment and truth is vital to, 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 to salvation, if you don't want to be judged, you're also cutting yourself off from the saving aspect of truth as well. Right? Right? Let's get real simple. Real simple. Hot stove, young kid. Right? Huh? The truth of the matter is that kid lays it hand on red coil stove He's going to be hurt. Isn't that the truth? Huh? <laughs> That's the truth. Now, if I have the knowledge of that truth, which I do, I can use that as a judgment against my kid as they move their hand toward the red coil and say, stop. You don't want to do that. You'll get hurt. The same thing then that they could say that judge them. If I remove it, they place their hand on it, their hand gets burned. That same thing could have also saved them. Are you with me? Huh? So, truth is the premise for both. And that's the reason why the Lord says, this displeases me when it has fallen or it can't be found. Because God wants to come up here with his whip and judge people. Not so much that, that I think that he wants to save people. <laughs> he wants to save people. And the only, the only thing that is the uh, plan B, if they don't receive his salvation, is they receive 
his judgment. Now listen to this. I, I hope everybody stayed with me. Let's go back to the kid. Let's go back to the kid. So I can state to him, don't put your hand on the coils. That will really save him. It'll really save him from being burned. All right? But if I don't, if I don't choose the saving part, you know what I get by touching the coils? Judgment. But if I'd allowed him to judge me in the moment and adhere to it, I had salvation and judgment passes on by because he judged me in the moment. Does anybody understand what I'm saying today? So what I'm saying is it's a whole lot better for the Lord and us to adhere to the judgment of the Lord now and have salvation than say, I don't want you judging me now. Don't have salvation and still get judgment anyway. Huh? Because it's coming. So it's either now or later. And I'm not talking about candy. <laughs> now or later. I'm talking about now or later. And so it's something that displeases the Lord. Because he wants to be a firm judge. No, he wants to be your savior at mostly. He wants to be your savior. And sometimes that means executing or giving some direction concerning judgment now. And we have it in our word. Time after time, Brother Michael Hurst, we have it in our word. We read certain things that like, God's telling me something. You know what he's doing? He's providing judgment to me now, which is also helping me in my salvation now to keep me from judgment later. If you'll stand with me this morning. Things that displease the Lord. So, again, I'll do this as last week to help us out. So then the inverse, so the inverse of these things are true, that... If pride was something that was displeasing to the Lord, then we know what? That humility must be something that is pleasing to God. Humility must be something that's pleasing to God. That if, if, if the absence of truth or truth missing in the life, the knowledge of that truth being shoved over to the side or ignored in life, if that's displeasing to God, then it must be pleasing to him for us to embrace truth, acquaint our lives, become knowledgeable about truth. That must be pleasing to the Lord. And this is something that's within everybody's arm's distance. To practice a spirit of humility and a spirit of truth. Ultimately, the spirit of the Holy Ghost that we all have received, the Bible even refers to it as a spirit of truth. And he'll teach and he'll guide and he'll cast little judgments in our life if we'll listen to it. Don't, yes, do, ignore, step away. What it's helping us is with our salvation. Same truth that's helping with the judgment is helping with our salvation. A lot of times it helps us with our salvation by judgment now. Not something to skirt away from. Embrace. It's okay. Because our Lord chastises those whom he loves. Whom he loves. We bow our heads here today. Father, I come to you this morning. God, I love you and I adore you. I thank you, Lord, that you care for me. And I know, God, I know I'm not easy to care for sometimes. I know, God, I'm not easy to care for sometimes. God, I know sometimes, Lord, I, I Lord, God, carry a spirit of pride and arrogance. God, and I think, Lord, I have this thing together and that I can chart my own path and dig my own ditch, so to speak. But, God... I realize today in reality I cannot do any of that without you I cannot walk I cannot live I cannot do it without you 
Lord, aside from you, Lord Jesus, I do not know even existence in this world. I pray, oh God, today, Lord, help me, Jesus, not to abandon truth. Let me not to abandon truth. God, justice, Lord, judgment, Lord, uprightness, Lord, all these things, salvation, they all come through and by truth. I don't want to discard it. I don't want to cast it to the side. I want to make it an integral part of my life. I want to have the knowledge of truth. God, so that justice and judgment can have its perfect way in my life. And God, so that can, Lord, help provide salvation, Lord, for my soul. I know, Lord, you have my best interest in mind. I know, God, you have my best interest in mind. And folks, I'm telling you this morning, there's one thing that we must come to terms with. And that is our God has our best interest in mind. We can get on the wrong side of things and maybe a spirit of pride and think, well, God wouldn't do this or God wouldn't do that or da-da-da-da-da-da. No, 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 no. Note that whatever it is that comes down the pike that God has our best interest in mind. No, we may not always understand what that interest is. And we might not see the connection of the dots of how this can be for our best interest or our good. But trust the master. Trust the creator of the universe. He has your best interest in mind. It don't always feel comfortable. It don't always feel good. We don't always feel like standing on a mountaintop and singing about what's going on right now but he has our best and you got to trust that you got to trust that he has your best interest in mind and he does he does and if you'll hold on to truth and you'll walk with a spirit of humility god will have pleasure with that type of life and that type of lifestyle hallelujah do you have a chorus that we could just sing this morning amen as we bring this service to a close i love you thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.